here at Taylor's First Baptist Church, you guys have an incredible staff, don't you? Amen. I got, to, I got to spend the weekend with them uh, a, a few weekends ago when they were on a retreat. I was so impressed. Uh, and then being in your presence here uh, today has just been such a blessing to me. Um, and, uh, and they've been through a, a, a transition period of time where they have continued to push the ball down the field with a great commission and, uh, and, and, and get the, the, the staff ready for Josh Powell who is a friend of mine, and, um, and I, I know you guys are excited about him being here, and um, I, I know that, uh, that, that, that he's a Gamecock, and, um, and I know that some of you are Gamecocks, and you're thrilled. I've been working on him. I'm a Tiger, so I've been working on him for a while, and um, I, y'all pray for me. Uh, and, um, and I told him he was going up near God's country, you know, coming up to the Greenville area, and so um, uh, you are going to be blessed to have him here as you get to know him uh, through the years. He is, um, he, he, is a, he is a dear friend, and he loves the Lord, and he's passionate about the gospel, and he wants the gospel to go across the street. He wants it to go across the world. And, um, and if calling him was the only way you were going to get Allison Powell and his kids, then you made the right choice. So um, on behalf of uh, South Carolina Baptist Convention, I lead the ministries there along with uh, Dr. Gary Hollingsworth, our executive director treasurer, and uh, he brings his greetings, and we just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you for your investment in the kingdom because of your sacrifice, we've been able to launch missionaries all around our state and across our world. In fact, in 2020, you were the leader among 2,100 South Carolina Baptist churches in your investment in cooperative program, Lottie Moon offerings, and Annie Armstrong offerings, which are international missions and national missions offerings combined. And you continue to be a leading voice uh, in both our state ministries as well as uh, the nation. And um, you are led now by Josh Powell, who serves as one of our state leaders as well as a national leader. And so I am just fired up to hear about what Taylor's uh, will do in the future. Just in the last decade, you have invested outside of this congregation uh, nearly $5 million to launch missionaries around the world. And because of that investment, uh, we've been able to see over 3,000 fully funded missionaries in places that have never heard about Jesus among the 2 billion people who have never encountered his name. And you've been able to launch uh, church planters in 32 cities around this nation, including uh, Jason Hodges, who is a product of this church and was with you a few weeks ago. And I get to see the work firsthand within our state as you've helped deploy um, eight BCM directors on all of our large universities within our state. Uh, I get to see the 5,000 teenagers that hear about Jesus over the course of the summer at Camp McCall and Somersault and Kidsault. And you've been able to see in your church, not only as an investment, but also as a leader among this initiative called Heart for Schools, where we're trying to actually partner the local Baptist churches in our state with public schools to serve them and love them and be engaged in all aspects 
of the community, and I'm excited that in the last five years, one out of every four public schools right now in South Carolina has a Baptist church that's serving them and loving them. And the list goes on and on and on, including the 10,000 people on an annual basis that cross over from death to life, uh, like my new brothers, Arlo and Caleb. So I'm excited about you guys getting baptized today, and, um, and now you're a part of that missionary force, and I look forward to seeing how the Lord will use you along the way. I'm married to my middle school sweetheart. Uh, we've been married for 23 years. If you want to get to know her, you can read Proverbs 31. We've got three or four boys, and, um, and, and their names are, are, are Connor, uh, Quarter. Quarter told me the other day, he said, Dad, you've got to learn our names. Quarter, he's nine years old. He just started playing football. He got his helmet stuck on his head the first day. It was a traumatic experience. Um, uh, his older brothers, who are teenagers, traumatize him constantly. Uh, Connor is in the 11th grade, and uh, he's a football player at River Bluff High School. In fact, I think we're coming up here in, uh, in about a month to play one of the schools in the upstate. And then Caden just graduated. He's going to... Clemson University in the fall, and, um, and we're excited about him being up here near this way. And, uh, and then Rokeem, who we invited into our family when he was in the eighth grade. My wife taught him in the second grade and, um, and helped him be the first in his family uh, to graduate from college. And, uh, and so that's my family. One of the things we love to do is, uh, is to go to Disney World. And, um, and when we go to Disney World, it's not really a vacation. It is a tactical operation to try to hit every ride and every show and get every dollar of my money's worth because the mouse makes you feel good about spending money. And so when my boys were little, I was, I was a little terrified as a, as, a, as a new dad that I'd lose them. And so uh, we would talk all day long about if they got separated from father, what, where they would go. And so I said, you know, there's a big castle. You can see it everywhere in the park. If you ever get separated from your daddy, I just want you to go to the castle. Just go to the castle. He said, Daddy, you fixing to leave? I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I ain't worried about me. I'm worried about you, okay? If you get separated for one reason or another, you go to the castle, just, just walk there calmly. You get there. Once you get there, just tell them that your daddy's on his way and he's going to meet you there. And we would repeat that all day long. And so we got to put it to the test. There was a duck that walked by that was uh, fairly large in stature. And uh, my son was trying to get the autographs of all of the characters, and that was the last one. And so when Donald Duck came by, uh, my son began to gravitate towards him and began to follow him uh, to wherever he was posting up to do autographs. And so my wife went to call his name, and I said, no, 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 let's, let's just see. Let's see if the young man has been listening to his daddy. Let's see if he'll be obedient and will walk in a calm fashion to the castle. And so there was that moment where he finally got to the duck, he got his autograph, and then he realized he was all alone, isolated in the crowd of people, and that's when he realized that he needed his daddy. And so he screamed at the top of his lungs, <laughs> he ran around in a circle at least five times, and um, I was going to let it go on for 10 minutes, guys, but... 
My wife came to the rescue and she said, you've got to holler for him. And so I said, Caden. And he froze in his tracks. He recognized my voice. He turned around, saw me, and he buried his face in my stomach. And he never left my side again. So he learned a couple of lessons that day. Uh, the first is, uh, do not follow quacks. They will lead you astray. <laughs> and, um, and the second one was this. You are desperate apart from your father. You are isolated and in complete desperation apart from your dad. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 22. Father, we come before you now as we open your scripture. This living and active, breathing word of God. When we pray, Father, that you might convict us to the soul and that we might be obedient to your word. Let us understand you. Let us know you better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's times in life when you feel all alone, and it seems like God's turned his back on you. And the year of 2020 may go down in history for you as one of those years where you felt like giving up. You felt like even letting go. Well, David felt like this many times, and it was during these times in life uh, that he penned Psalm 22. It was true of him as a king, this Psalm 22, but it also carries a powerful prophetic language about the king. David knew loneliness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. David had a lot of lonely times in his life. This tone that can be felt in these words. One of those times was found in 1 Samuel chapter 30. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, we see this story unfolding after a period of time where David had defeated Goliath. His approval ratings were sky high. Everybody loves him. He's brought into the king's palace. He befriends his son Jonathan. But then the king gets jealous of him, and he wants him dead. And so David moves from hero to zero. He's on the run. He runs to the one place Saul will not chase him, the land of the Philistines, the land of the giants. So he takes his 600 men and wives and children, and the king of the Philistines gave them a town called Ziklag, and they allowed him to live there with his 600 men and his wives and his children. It wasn't long until they asked David then to join in with the fight. Kind of ironic that the one who slayed Goliath was now fighting in the enemy's camp. And so the Philistines forced him to take his 600 men to follow with them as they were going to, to battle. But then they had a change of heart. 
They thought to themselves, well, maybe David's men will turn on us and we will be defeated. And so they send them back because they don't trust him. And when he approaches the town, he sees smoke in the distance. Another army from another country had come in while he was gone and taken all the women, all the children, and burned everything else. And David had hit rock bottom. In fact, it tells us in 1 Samuel 30, verse 4, that David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And if that wasn't enough, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and his daughters. And now David finds himself in a place of darkness. He finds himself in a place of desperation. And this panic then turns into a time of maybe even depression and hopelessness and loneliness. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like that God was so far away from you that you couldn't even find him anymore? Maybe you're watching online and you're going through a season right now of being fearful of a virus or simply isolated in your home. A time of desperation, a time of depression, a time of hopelessness, maybe even loneliness. And in the quietness, Satan will whisper in your ear, you're worthless. You don't matter. No one cares about you. You're ugly. If God really loved you, he wouldn't let this happen. How could the God that you serve allow you to suffer? And as soon as he whispers this, I imagine, in the ears of David, David writes about God in the next and following verses. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But your circumstances, just like David, seem to crash in on you. It seems to draw the attention on yourself. And these truths of the Scripture begin to be uh, just a noisy, clanging symbol because of all of the things that are happening in your life. And when you begin to turn inward, when you begin to look at your own momentary trials and troubles and tribulation, Your attitude may be the same as David's in verse 6. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And when times of trouble come, you have a choice. There's a variety of ways that you could react. There's probably three primary ways you do. You could quit. You could throw in the towel. You could say, I have enough. And some of you have wanted to throw in the towel lately. And you felt all alone. And what I found interesting is that some people would quit on the inside before they quit on the outside. 
They may continue to come to a church service if that's what they have always done. They may tend to tag along with mom and dad because they have to. But on the inside, they've given up. On the inside, they're not following Jesus. On the inside, there's desperation. And so some of you know what it feels like to sit quiet in your room in silence and wonder if anyone really cares. Some of you who are teenagers in this room today are used to sitting alone for hours while you watch everyone else's life unfold on social media. And some of you know what it feels like to have your dreams canceled or postponed. This generation that are juniors and seniors in high school, the last couple of years, everything that seemed normal to them all of a sudden came crashing to a screeching halt. You know what it's like to lose a loved one. Maybe even to this dreaded virus that we've been fighting against over the course of this year. Some of you know what it's like to be misunderstood because your culture and heritage is not with the majority. And you feel what it's like when no one understands you. And interesting enough, you feel isolated in a crowd of people and all alone. You're not alone, by the way. According to The Lonely American, a book written by the Harvard Medical School psychiatrist, it was written years before the pandemic. It exposes a few things. The number of people an average American discusses important matters with dropped from three to two over the last decade. One out of four individuals said that they had no one to discuss important matters with. One out of 10 Americans take some type of medication to deal with anxiety and depression. The elephant in the room is loneliness, and it is killing us, literally. In fact, the former Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy of the United States, said that the most prevalent health issue in the country is not cancer or heart disease or obesity, it is isolation. Depression may be linked more to isolation than even chemical imbalance. And teens would know this full well because they've seen their friends take their own lives. Teen suicide has doubled in the past 10 years. Isn't it ironic that the most connected generation that has relationship at its fingertips would be the most disconnected generation that we've ever seen. And the most anxious, even though they're the most affluent. The pandemic hasn't made us this way. It's only accelerated where we were already going. So why do you want to throw in the towel? Why do you want to quit? You may not be at the level of shutting down your life, but you may be shutting down your openness and vulnerability with others. In fact, maybe the best thing that you could do as a church with those who are outside the walls of this church 
other than tell them about Jesus is be their friend. In fact, if you wandered in here today or if you're online watching today, I would say come and give these people a shot. Let them become your friends. Take them out to lunch after Sunday service. Look for an opportunity this next week to go to coffee. Look for a fishing partner that might get in the boat with you and be held captive for two hours. And be friends. Listen. Because when you begin to listen to the hearts of people, then you'll have the opportunity to talk to them about this great Savior that we serve. Or maybe you want to run. You see, for some, they just quit and they give up. Other people run. In fact, uh, those who would run, they actually run sometimes and you don't even realize it. They chase after things that you don't even realize they're chasing after. Um, And it's usually because we're afraid of something. Usually when we fear something, we run. I don't know if you're a deer hunter, but... um, but I hunt deer with, really with my sons just so I can spend some time with them. And yesterday was the day that we go to the club and we, we clean things up. Well, it was my job to go and to wage war on the wasp in the deer stands. Now, if there's anything that I'm scared of, I'm a, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm not scared of too much stuff. I'm scared of my wife. I'm scared of wasp. The kind that have the wings that go out like a V when they see you and they know you're coming, they're coming after you and just that buzz when they're floating down to you, it just, I just can't hurt. So I went into battle with six cans of wasp spray because I was not going to run out. And so I would walk in and I'd spray a few underneath, you know, and that was pretty easy. But it was the ones inside the deer stand to get you because you have to stick your head inside the deer stand before you can get a spray. And so you have to make a choice. You either look right or left, but you can't do both at the same time. So the first stand I went into, I looked to the right and it was clear. I looked to the left and there was a wasp nest right here with 12 wasps on it, all in the V formation. And I backed out of the stand and fell on the ground and took off running. Now, I didn't know if they were going to chase me or not. Um, I didn't care. I had my can of spray, and I'm spraying a 360 around me like this. And whoever had the camera set up that had the live feed, you know, that you can see what's going on, really got a show yesterday. And it's kind of funny, you know, why would you run from a little wasp, right? A little sting. It'll just last just a second. Um, But there are some major things that you are running from. Some of you who are believers are running from a call to ministry. Some of you who are not believers are running from turning your life over and controlling your life to Jesus because you don't know what's going to happen if you do. Some of the ways you run are in addiction. Some of you are wrapped up in addiction right now that people don't even know about. Some of you run to entertainment. You just look for something to numb the soul. And many of you are, 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 you're not addicted to anything. I mean, you're not addicted to drugs. You're not addicted to alcohol. I mean, you've got it all together. 
and, and you have really no issues, and you're thinking to yourself right now, I don't, I don't run at all. Did you realize that scrolling on social media could be more addicting than even some drugs that people face today? Actually even lets off some of the same endorphins that some of those do. And here's what's dangerous. When you scroll social media, you're watching everyone's filtered life and you compare it to your unfiltered life and try to figure out why yours isn't as good as theirs. You think they're posting pictures when they're having a bad day? No, they're usually posting pictures when they got all the friends over. And so, could it be that you're running on fumes? Could it be that this frantic pace and constant connectivity actually diminishes your ability to build meaningful relationships, including being distracted from a relationship with the Lord? And you're in good company. Jonah ran, Moses ran, David ran, the prodigal son ran, and good news for you, the father is willing to run. In fact, he ran to the prodigal son, and he will run to you. You could quit, you could keep running, or you could pivot. You could be still, repent of your sin, and follow Jesus. You see, when you pivot, you plant your foot in the ground for a moment in time, and you say, this is where it stops. And then you turn and move the other way. David writes in Psalm 22, verse 9, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. And so when David hits rock bottom, he plants a foot in the sand, and he pivots to the Lord. And it tells us in verse 6 of chapter 30 of 1 Samuel that David found strength in the Lord his God. He prays. He asks the Lord, should I pursue my enemy? And God replies, yes, go after them and you will find them. And so when they crest the hill with his men, they see every one of their wives and all of their children all intact. The Lord had persevered. God is in the business of restoration. He's in the business of redemption. And what the enemy steals, God recovers, redeems, restores. He's been doing this from the beginning of the fall, and he continues it on the cross. You see, there was more to this psalm than a cry of desperation from David. Embedded in this psalm is the cross, a thousand years after David pens these words, there would have been another set of defeated warriors that would have read this psalm together. These defeated warriors we call disciples had followed Jesus for three years. He would save them from the rule of the Romans. He would save them from disgrace. He would be a valiant warrior. And so you can imagine that when Jesus hangs on the cross, his blood running down his face and dripping from his side, everything changed. John looked on with horror. Peter gets word that he's almost dead. This movement that the disciples were going to be a part of was about to cease, and desperation sets in. His disciples probably would have remembered times when they were around a campfire, talking about the words of David in Psalm 22. 
And then all of a sudden they would see it unfold with Jesus himself. In verse 7 of 22, his accusers hurled insults at him. In verse 8, they mocked Jesus. Let the Lord rescue him, they said. In verse 14, all of his bones are out of joint. His body contorts as he uh, loses his strength. And in verse 15, he cries out that he is thirsty. His tongue sticks to the roof of his mouth. In Psalm 22:16, evil men encircle him and pierce his hands and feet and raise the cross as people stare and gloat at him. In verse 18, they divide up his garments as they cast lots for his clothing. He didn't deserve this, but he desired this. He desired to go to the cross for your sin and mine. And so, when he hung on the cross and he lifts his head up and he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? the Jews around the cross that day would have recognized those words. But they would have known the rest of the story. They would have known that Saul was defeated in that battle the Philistines were on their way to fight. They would have known that David would then be crowned king of Israel and would have gone on to defeat all the nations surrounding Israel. That his victories solidified him as the greatest king of Israel. They would have known that the ending of this psalm is not an ending of despair, but it is an ending of victory. And now they were looking at the eternal king of Israel who was paying their penalty on the sins on the cross. He was breaking the curse of isolation that first reared his ugly head in the garden. No longer would man and woman be isolated from God. No longer would they not have relationship with God. No, they would have known the end of the story. They would have known the end of Psalm 22. That all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That's you. For he has done it. It is finished. Look at the cross. Jesus calls out to you in your darkness and your silence. Look at the cross. Jesus will run to you if you will stop and turn to him. Look at the cross. Put your foot in the ground and pivot and be still and know that he is God. Because in three days, the death would not be able to hold him. And the risen Savior of the world, the King of creation, would make a way for you to come out of your isolation and your desperation. Jesus is the answer to your loneliness. Don't quit. Stop running. Put your foot in the ground, maybe even today, and pivot and turn your life to Jesus. Be still and know that he is God. Bow your heads with me, if you would.
those who are watching online and those who are in this worship center, there are only two types of people. There are those who are saved from their sin and are heading to a fullness of life. And there are those who are lost in their sin and heading to destruction. So which one are you? Maybe you are saved from your sin. Maybe you are a faithful servant like David. But there have been times, even this past year, where there has been desperation and loneliness. And maybe even today, for one reason or another, you find yourself in desperate need of hope. Maybe it's your grandkids. Maybe it's your children. And you've tried everything you can try, but you find them struggling. Maybe it's sin in your life. And you've tried everything to break habits of addiction. And maybe today, maybe today you need to find strength in the Lord. Not yourself, not science, but that you would find strength in the Spirit. Maybe you need to pivot today of a sin that's in your life that's overtaking you and turn to Jesus and repent from that sin. Or maybe you're far from God. On the outside, everything looks great. On the inside, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have not turned your life over to Jesus and you are in desperate need of a Savior. I would encourage you today to cry out to God. Tell Him that you are a sinner in desperate need of salvation, that you believe that He died on a cross for your sin, was buried in a tomb, and then rose on the third day, and that you want Him to be your Lord and your Savior to give you fullness of life, life in this kingdom. And when you place your faith and your trust and control of your life over to him, the first act of obedience is baptism that we witness today. And maybe that's you. Maybe you need to go public with this. And so when we go into a time of worship, there will be an opportunity for you to come and speak with one of your pastors, David, and Maybe you need to slip out and put your foot in the sand and make today a defining moment. You slip out. You come and talk with him and leave your life of isolation and desperation. In Christ's name we pray.